Hello, and welcome to the Four Color Nerds Cut the Cord podcast, episode seven. I'm Hannah, and I'm joined by some other streaming media nerds, Mal. Hello. Quaz. Hello. And Ryan. Hello. Together, we take on television for those who have cast off the tyranny of their local cable provider. Each week, we gather here to find a great show to watch from the often overwhelming variety of shows to choose from. We review the prior week's selection. Then, we pick a new show and do it all over again. This is a review show, so there will be spoilers. This week's show is Big Little Lies, streaming on HBO Now and HBO Go. The opening theme song is Cold Little Heart by Michael Kiwanuka. So let's take a listen. Big Little Lies is based on the novel of the same name by Leanne Moriarty. It was created by David E. Kelly, directed by Jean-Marc Vallée. The executive producers are David E. Kelly, Reese Witherspoon, Nicole Kidman, Jean-Marc Vallée, and it's distributed by HBO. The show is starring Reese Witherspoon as Madeline Martha McKenzie, Nicole Kidman as Celeste Wright, Shailene Woodley as Jane Chapman, Alexander Skarsgård as Perry Wright, Laura Dern as Renata Klein, Adam Scott as Ed McKenzie, Zoe Kravitz as Bonnie Carlson, James Tupper as Nathan Carlson, Jeffrey Nordling as Gordon Klein. Big Little Lies is based around a very wealthy, privileged community in Monterey, California, famous for the aquarium. And it explores the interactions, particularly between the women of the community, between Madeline, Celeste, Renata, and newcomer Jane. Jane does not fit in with the other women. The other three are very wealthy, very wealthy. Renata is like a power executive slash mom. Reese Witherspoon's character, Madeline, is a stay-at-home mom who only works 20 hours a week. Celeste is also a stay-at-home mother who had formerly been a lawyer. And Jane is working part-time, but not by choice. Yeah, she doesn't have the wealthy privilege of only choosing to work part-time. She's, by circumstance, working part-time. And she has a mysterious past and the show cuts back and forth between the past scenes and interrogation scenes and teases that someone has been murdered by someone in the community and it's being investigated. So throughout these first two episodes, we don't know either who has been murdered or who the murderer is. And there's all kinds of conflict between the women. There's lines around the social class of Jane. There's lines between the women of the same social strata, the stay-at-home moms versus Renata, who is power executive. I think 
think they call her like the working super mom. Yeah, she's kind of working super mom. Rollstrain may as well be her her name, Renata Rollstrain Klein, <laughs> because that's pretty intense. A huge element of one of the marriages of the women is physically and sexually abusive. So there's um, yeah a lot of intimidation that happens between the two of them. Husband is creepy and then he hauls off and hits her in the end of the first episode and like most abusers can turn on the pity right afterwards yeah yeah that it's it's not his fault that he pushed to do these things it's her fault and if only she would just that part actually took my breath away because i was watching it and i was like oh you know they've got some problems like any couple but there's some tension there or whatever and then when he like hold off and hit her well when he grabbed her well and she was like take your hands off me his face changed yes that moment turned on a dime yeah Yeah. and it was it was pretty terrifying well i first came across alexander Skarsgård in true blood so this is something he had his teeth on in a lot of ways I'm really impressed with how well he's able to take that performance, which in True Blood was outsized and explosive, and dial it inward. It's a very tight performance he's giving. I think all of the performances here are really dialed in. There's lots of layers and complexity in their performances. Like when the explosive moments happen, they are very impactful. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Am I the only one who can't figure out who's dead? That's one thing that I actually really like about the show. Yeah. Who's dead? Who's a murderer? I didn't know if I was just confused or not. No, I think that's one of the conceits of the show is you're watching a murder investigation and the stuff that happened before, but you don't know who was murdered and who did it. So each person as you're watching, you're like, yep, that's going to get them killed. Or yes, I could see them killing someone. You know, and the fact that each person could be a conceivable victim and a conceivable murderer, I think is a good balance in the show. It makes the press conference dialogue really impressively well-written, too, because something that bland, when the characters are supposed to be giving information, that's hard. Really impressed with the child actors on this show. I thought they all did very well. Like, they're carrying some heavy scenes there. Yeah. Who's the actress who plays Madeline and Ed's daughter? Chloe. The older one or the younger one? The younger one. She's great. Is she the one who's like the social queen of the first grade? Yeah, she's the very precocious one who wants to, quote, run a major label. Yeah, she always has her little iPod that she's listening to. Yeah, and she has really sophisticated musical taste. (laughs) Well, I think she really clearly takes after her mom here. Yeah, for sure. That she is mimicking the behavior that she sees from her mom because they are very, very similar. Well, she even says as much. I mean, Ziggy was trying to make things better. She's giving him the idea of how, and she says, Yeah. That works with you and Dad. A conflict between two of the children, which explodes throughout. Yeah, I think I kind of started everything. It's like a stone being dropped in a pond, like those ripples spread out. And the kids, you know, like you were mentioning, she kind of takes something, she mimics how she's seen her parents make up and brings it in there. And it's, you know, completely not appropriate, but also kind of something that you can easily see kids doing and not really understanding the consequences of what they're actually doing. That and the point to the person who hurt you scene really got me because neither of those are appropriate responses the initial conflict, you know, bringing it out in front of everyone, like whether that was appropriate no. or not appropriate, too. Nope. <laughs> that wasn't. You start 
having problems with kids' memories becoming untrustworthy when there's pressure. Yes. So, yeah. 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 They mentioned, too, that the children are both so young, and this is a brand new school year for them, that they don't even know each other's names. So when you ask them, who did this to you, they cannot answer you. You know, they don't have the verbal skills and memory to do so. And she might be wrong. Or And six years old, they might not even have enough object permanence to assign a face to, yeah. to an incident. Especially with a whole room full of new children. And trauma and Mm -hmm. the potential for her being afraid of whoever actually did it and then just pointing out, oh, well, I don't know this kid. The new kid. Well, the incident that happens is Laura Dern, a.k.a. Renata Klein's daughter, is strangled by another child and she has marks on her neck. And she says a little boy does it and blames Shailene Woodley, Jane Chapman's son, the new kid, the poor kid, the weird haircut. Ziggy. Ziggy. Yeah, with the weird haircut and named after David Bowie persona. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that kind of starts everything. And then Madeline Reese Witherspoon's character, who is really reminiscent of uh, the character that she plays in Election. Mm. Um, That's what I was thinking when I was watching this, too. As kind of a cross between that character and Elle Woods. (laughs) That's a role that she plays really well. She says at one point, I cultivate my grudges. So that sets off a long simmering enmity between Madeline and Renata. And then it just gets... Other characters comment on her personality flaw in that way. There are people who say that when Madeline gets involved in a situation, it doesn't calm down, it explodes. Mm -hmm. And then there's also a scene where her husband is telling her all the different conflicts that she's been involved in in just the last few days. Mm -hmm. You know, she's stopping carloads of teenagers and yelling at them. She's having fights with other parents. She can't leave a fight alone, Mm -hmm. you know, that she has to engage in that. And there's actually some back and forth that she's talking about that people think she has this problem because she needs to fill her life with something. Yeah, it was kind of funny that she said that and you're sitting there thinking like, well, that's really so true. Like people keep telling her that, but it's that classic other people tell it to me and I don't say it myself. I don't believe it. (laughs) It's right on the money because she's not a person. Her character is completely satisfied with her life. And I don't think any of the women on this show are. And Renata is clearly going a little nutso in her own way and focusing in on Ziggy and Jane and because of Madeline. (laughs) One of the things I noticed about Jane, and I noticed this early on in the pilot, most of the other people in the show judge others based on themselves. She judges herself based on other people. Oh. And that's why she sticks out. Yeah. That, I think, is part of why everything going on with both Ziggy and Renata is hitting her so hard, because she has the two competing desires. Help my son get good with the local power structure. That's really tearing her. Past is very mysterious that something has happened in the past. Like, I don't know if they had to leave Santa Cruz because of maybe something else that the child has done or was done to him or or what. Like, I sense there's more to that part of the story. I think they're either leaving or avoiding his father. Yeah, absolutely. 
Just remember, your mother kept harping on, you need family. You have friends, you need family. When she's talking to her mother on the phone. And I don't think it has anything to do directly with the child, because he seems genuinely confused. He's constantly questioning her. Why did we move? Why did we do this? Because he's really taking it hard, everything that's that's happened since the move. I don't think if he was directly involved in the reason for their move, like he hurt another kid or anything like that. I just don't think that he'd be acting this way. It is really sad when you can see his kind of reactions to what's going on, where he sees his mom crying and he thinks he's the reason why. And then he overhears other parents talking about him, saying yeah. he's like a little monster. He doesn't know if that's true or not, you know? They're focusing all of this attention on Ziggy and we're not even 100% sure that he actually was the one who did it. I think even Madeline and Jane are assuming, but it could, I'm thinking that it might have been Celeste and Perry's, one of their boys. A lot of this is just Mm -hmm. kind of normal kid stuff that happens, but these are proxy wars that their parents are fighting through their children. Yeah, it's proxy wars. By the end of the second episode, I think Renata has basically forgotten about that incident, and it's just using it as a justification. Yeah. It might be the spark, but that's not what their conflict is about anymore. It's about a lot more than that. Yeah, but I know it's beside the point, but strangling somebody is a pretty violent act, and so if Ziggy hasn't seen or done anything like that... My little pet theory on that is I actually think those two boys who, when you're a little kid, I mean, they're both blonde male children that you probably haven't met before. I think that they may have been the ones who actually did that. I think so. Well, given that there's domestic violence going on in their house, talked about it right. when they were on the couch and they were saying, he's scared. And she's like, oh, are you scared, sweetie? He's like, no, the bear. Like, that's totally little kid behavior. But yeah, I think that's like red on the money of how everybody's walking on tiptoes. There's a lot of, even if Perry isn't hitting Celeste in front of them, Celeste's fear of him and his intimidation of her is like a toxic, invisible gas in the house, you know, it's going to affect everybody. Circling back to their relationship, which is deeply dysfunctional and messed up, is she mentions, you know, that he likes to cause fights because then they make up, you know, and they basically, they have sex, they have makeup sex. And she says, that's why he thinks she likes it. But then she also says, I think I like it too. No one in here is entirely functional, I guess you would say, or simply good or simply bad. It's very convoluted and mixed up. When I heard that line, I started shivering because that is so, so dangerous of mindset. And it's a dangerous place to be in. And I think it's really clever of Lan Moriarty, the original author, to set this Celeste character up as a very educated, wealthy, beautiful woman. And on the outside, this relationship is perfect. And everybody's like, oh, they're too affectionate. Like, stop cuddling and blah. But behind closed doors, Perry is a monster and she is just as trapped in a a domestic violence relationship. And stereotypically, one would think that it would be someone like Jane. It can happen to anyone. A lot of the reviews of the show, especially of the second episode, talk about the quote unquote steamy, violent sex scene between the two of them. And that is deeply disturbing to me because that wasn't a consensual sex scene. I didn't get erotic thriller from that. 
I wouldn't say steamy. I'm upset because that is kind of the only sex scene that we've seen so far. So, I mean, maybe people are kind of glomming onto that, oh, yay, sex in our entertainment kind of thing and ignoring the fact that this is very violent. And I think it's really dangerous that people are minimizing that that was an abusive, sexually abusive dynamic because she isn't in a position where she feels like she can say no. And the ending of that scene is very, very clear. Clearly, she was in pain. They've established that they have this abusive Mm -hmm. relationship before that. In previous episodes at the end, where he's grabbing her and where he slaps her. All of these things. Like, this is just a continuation Mm -hmm. of that power dynamic that they have. Real life-wise, once it reaches that escalation ladder of where she's being sexually assaulted in the relationship, it's the lethality rates just skyrocket because the victim has been objectified in the sense that the abuser does doesn't consider them a person in their own right, that they're an object. And that means that they can be discarded through murder. So maybe it's Celeste who got murdered by Perry. Or maybe she killed him. Could be. I could see any character on the show being killed by any yeah, other character. So- I thought I thought di- the dynamic between Celeste and Perry, that was pretty disturbing. I thought it was kind of playing into the, some of the ideas that y'all were talking about, the fact that she does hit back. Most programs that I've seen that portray an abusive relationship, mm. it's usually one way. You know, he hit her, she hit him, and then he threw her, and then she was in the helpless position. But mm-hmm. she did start by fighting back. Unique, I thought. Pretty disturbing. It all happened so fast. But I can attest to the fact that having a parent traveling can be really stressful on a family. My dad used to travel for two or three days a week, and I don't know exactly how often Perry's supposed to be traveling in the show, but it does take a severe toll on some relationships there's a lot of strain mm-hmm. but that being said it, it does seem like perry's just an unstable unreasonable person yeah he does seem troubled for sure reese witherspoon's character i don't know how much y'all picked up on this but i have a feeling that she's not going to be faithful mm. i just felt like i was picking up on a lot of context clues that the way that adam scott was questioning her i mean the way that they made up at the end of the episode this doesn't seem to be like a no like a, a happy show <laughs> this isn't happy yeah <laughs> i feel like i'm getting some clues that uh that reese witherspoon is going to be doing some yeah. around wouldn't surprise me yeah I mean, a major theme on this show seems to be, you know, sort of like perfect from the outside view and deeply flawed inside. Deeply dysfunctional on the inside. And I just thought that Ed's address to her is Nathan the one. I don't want to be somebody's consolation prize and I'm not going to do that. That was a really great performance from Adam Scott and really sad that we did not get any Ben Wyatt and Elle Woods sex. We have creepy rape scene like why can't we have some sweet normal people sex? HBO come on now. There's no normal people on this show. (laughs) Everybody needs therapy. Here's a question I have because we unlike a lot of the shows we watch we're not able to watch an entire season of one time because it's on HBO so it's coming out every week. Do you intend to watch the rest of this season? I intend season? to go back and watch the first episode. Yeah, I'm pretty hooked. I'm hooked on it too. But I don't want it to all be Celeste and Perry rape scenes. If that's going to be the direction that they go in with the show, then I'm going to make a personal choice and stop watching. I can't take too much of that. I'd probably agree with Hannah on that. If, if it keeps up with the violent rape tones, I'll probably 
especially if it gets episodes. worse probably where it's going especially with the ending of the second oh episode yeah with, with the, the video sex i mean it seems like she's kind of giving in to the idea that everything's okay i feel like at mm-hmm. the end of this season you're gonna need to go back and watch the season now you know if you know who did it then you go back and you look and you see oh there's that you know little glance or they put that thing in their purse or you know whatever the actual clues are People keep asking Madeline if she's sick or if she's dying or something. Have you noticed that? A couple of people have made some comments about existential crisis and her oldest daughter asked her if if she's dying or you're going to die. I don't know if that's them hinting that she's going to be the one murdered. We've been talking a lot about the adults here. There's nothing to say that the person who was murdered is not a child, which is dark, but you're talking about the amount of violence that was done to her. An adult attacking a child can very easily do that much damage that quickly. Not a happy show. No, no, no. Not a happy show. I think it's very tight writing, both from the author and then David E. Kelly adapting it to the big screen. And I think it's also very, very well directed, all of the performances by everybody. So Jean-Marc Vallée, or however you say his name, is doing a really great job with letting the actors act and be their characters and be subtle. And I mean, the fact that you have the two biggest leads on the show are also executive producers on the show. This is clearly a project that they are deeply committed to. I've seen Reese Witherspoon talking about the show and she just talked about being part of the process and really being involved with it. And this is something that's really close to her, especially being an older woman. She's considered an older woman in Hollywood. And, you know, Nicole Kidman and Laura Dern are not of the age age of normally being cast even for somebody playing the age that they actually are like most of the time women in hollywood and in high budget television shows women their age are being played by women zoe kravitz's age and shailene whitley's age so i think that's pretty cool you know one thing i've heard said if you're part of a minority or like a mm-hmm. unrepresented group that you have to create your own projects and roles if you want good roles which some people view as kind of messed up, but then you have to make these things happen for yourself. I think Reese Witherspoon and Nicole Kidman are definitely stepping up and doing that. I think it's awesome. I think it's a great show. It's very well done, even by like HBO standards. I'm going to give it four precocious little girls out of five. I will give it four and a half. Take your hands off me. I will give it four beautiful bathrobes out of five. I rate this show four revolvers under your pillow, which is a really bad idea. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a safe. It's not a good choice. (laughs) That's not how you firearm. (laughs) All right, I'm from Texas, and I say that's not okay. Yeah, no, we don't do that. (laughs) Listen to the Texans here, people. I'd probably go to five if I had more of the show to work with. Right now, it's a really strong beginning. Yeah, it's hard to judge with just two episodes so far, but so far, when what we've seen has been pretty good. Given the amount of sheer talent behind it, I'd be surprised if it wasn't. It's rare for a show to take a nosedive when it's, you know, off to a good start, so I'm hopeful. I said it before, and I'll say it again. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. Every week, we bring a show to consider watching. We each vote for a show, 
And we cannot vote for our own show. The show with the most votes is the next show that we will watch and review next week. I'll go first. So Netflix just had a show. It's not a new show. I think this one deserves some special recognition here. They've won their first Academy Award for short documentary, which is for The White Helmets, which is a documentary about Syria and the kind of peacekeepers and basically paramedics who kind of go in to areas that are affected by, you know, bombings and gas attacks and things like that and try and, you know, rescue people and bring in food and the kind of the things they see and have to do. It's only 40 minutes long. So, I mean, it is a short documentary. I think that this one deserves our attention. So that's my recommendation, White Helmets. I'm going to nominate I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore. It's another crime drama thriller with more of a comedic twist, it seems. A depressed woman is burglarized and she finds a new sense of purpose by tracking down the thieves alongside her obnoxious neighbor and then they end up out of their depth with a pack of degenerate criminals and it's got Elijah Wood. I've watched the little trailers, you know, for it and I love the part where she has her moment of realization about the world and she's like, the world is made up of assholes. (laughs) Like, that's her realization. It's it's all assholes and they need to be stopped. (laughs) My nomination is Ultimate Beastmaster. It's basically American Ninja Warrior on steroids, but it's feel-good escapism, and we can all use that right now. When I first saw that on the list, before I looked it up, I was hoping that it was related to the old movie Beastmaster, <laughs> but it's not at all that. Because <laughs> I freaking loved that. That was awesome. One interesting thing about Ultimate Beastmaster that mm-hmm. you didn't touch on is it actually brings in the patriotism. It's actually country versus country. There are six countries involved in each of them, and two oh. competitors each episode. Oh, It's America, Mexico, Brazil, South Korea, Germany, and Japan. Oh. So, so each episode is two competitors from each of those six countries. I've seen a little bit of it. It's pretty good. I'd like to nominate the new Trevor Noah special, because this week was pretty dark. <laughs> <laughs> and I think Trevor Noah is hilarious. I think he's extremely intelligent. His perspectives as an immigrant from Africa, I think, are great. Trevor Noah, Afraid of the Dark. He also has a book that I would really recommend, Born a Crime, is excellent, just as an aside there. So I will vote for I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore. I will vote for Beastmaster. Mal? I don't feel at home in this world anymore. Okay, and then Klaus? And I will vote for White Helmets. Her winner is I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore. Hannah Winskin. <laughs> All right. I just love me some crime. So that was Big Little Lies. You can find all kinds of nerd shenanigans, including our other podcasts, Four Color Nerds Comic Book Reviews, and Broke Gaming, all at fourcolornerds.com or our Facebook page. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram. You can find the podcast on iTunes and Google Play Music. On Stitcher. On SoundCloud. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and be sure to come back next week for another episode. Until then, keep streaming, nerds!